industrialization of some of the ports, the advent of the steamship, and how, in the Second World War, it was felt that treaty ports should be relegated to the past. Thanks for listening, and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. Hong Kong Heritage, produced and presented there by Anne-Marie Evans on your station, RTHK Radio 3. Construction workers with more than 10 years skilled work experience can now register as skilled workers through the Senior Workers Registration Arrangement. Those with less than 10 years experience can become skilled workers by passing a trade test. Subsidies and test fee refunds will also be provided to workers who pass their trade test. Apply for the trade test now. For inquiries, please call the Construction Industry Council on 2100-9232. has just gone 6.30 on a Sunday evening, so it is time for Reflections from Asia with Harvey Stockwin. Three months ago, Reflections from Asia reported at length on a speech US President Barack Obama gave from the White House on a historic nuclear understanding reached with Iran which will prevent it obtaining a nuclear weapon. Today, the world awaits another similar speech on or before June the 7th, announcing whether or not the understanding has now been replaced with an equally historic nuclear agreement with Iran. We are rebroadcasting extracts of the former speech for the very clear insight it provides into the cliffhanger crisis which currently confronts the international community and particularly the governments and diplomats seeking to finalize that nuclear agreement in Vienna. As President and Commander-in-Chief, I have no greater responsibility than the security of the American people. And I am convinced that if this framework leads to a final comprehensive deal, it will make our country, our allies, and our world safer. This has been a long time coming. The Islamic Republic of Iran has been advancing its nuclear program for decades. By the time I took office, Iran was operating thousands of centrifuges, which can produce the materials for a nuclear bomb. And Iran was concealing a covert nuclear facility. In prolonged negotiations dating back to 2006 and 2013, the five major powers on the United Nations Security Council plus Germany initially tried to limit the proliferation of nuclear weapons through diplomacy. But initially they failed. I made clear that we were prepared to resolve this issue diplomatically. But only if Iran came to the table in a serious way. When that did not happen, we rallied the world to impose the toughest sanctions in history, sanctions which had a profound impact on the Iranian economy. Now, sanctions alone could not stop Iran's nuclear program, but they did help bring Iran to the negotiating table. Because of our diplomatic efforts, the world stood with us, and we were joined at the negotiating table by the world's major powers, the United Kingdom, France, Germany, 
Russia and China, as well as the European Union. And recall that at the time, skeptics argued that Iran would cheat and that we could not verify their compliance and the interim agreement would fail. Instead, it has succeeded exactly as intended. Iran has met all of its obligations. It eliminated its stockpile of dangerous nuclear material. Inspections of Iran's program increased. And we continued negotiations to see if we could achieve a more comprehensive deal. That comprehensive deal reached at the beginning of April this year after protracted all-night negotiating sessions in Lausanne, Switzerland, was less comprehensive than expected and had to be partially renegotiated when the negotiations began last week in Vienna. So a final agreement in Vienna has been further delayed. Yet Obama has remained optimistic. This framework would cut off every pathway that Iran could take to develop a nuclear weapon. Iran will face strict limitations on its program, and Iran has also agreed to the most robust and intrusive inspections and transparency regime ever negotiated for any nuclear program in history. So this deal is not based on trust. It's based on unprecedented verification. And nothing is agreed to until everything is agreed. But here are the basic outlines of the deal that we are working to finalize. While Obama has been speaking, something very unusual has been going on. His speech has been broadcast live to the Iranian people. In other words, the Islamic Republic of Iran's news network, whose political and international coverage is strictly controlled by government authorities, took the unusual step of showing Obama's speech live and according to news agency reports, completely uncensored. Evidently, some Iranians responded by taking selfie pictures of themselves against the unusual background of Obama speaking over Iranian TV. One can only wonder what will be their reactions when and if Obama spells out some aspects of the final agreement which will have to be attained in the continuing negotiations which were not completed by June the 30th and are now scheduled to end on or before July the 7th. First, Iran will not be able to pursue a bomb using plutonium because it will not develop weapons-grade plutonium. The core of its reactor at Iraq will be dismantled and replaced. The spent fuel from that facility will be shipped out of Iran for the life of the reactor. Iran will not build a new heavy water reactor and Iran will not reprocess fuel from its existing reactors, ever. Second, this deal shuts down Iran's path to a bomb using enriched uranium. Iran has agreed that its installed centrifuges will be reduced by two-thirds. Iran will no longer enrich uranium at its Fordow facility. Iran will not enrich uranium with its advanced centrifuges for at least the next 10 years. The vast majority of Iran's stockpile of enriched uranium will be neutralized. Today, estimates indicate that Iran is only two or three months away from potentially acquiring the raw materials that could be used for a single nuclear bomb. Under this deal, Iran has agreed that it will not stockpile the materials needed to build a weapon. Even if it violated the deal, 
for the next decade at least, Iran would be a minimum of a year away from acquiring enough material for a bomb. And the strict limitations on Iran's stockpile will last for 15 years. Third, this deal provides the best possible defense against Iran's ability to pursue a nuclear weapon covertly, that is, in secret. International inspectors will have unprecedented access not only to Iranian nuclear facilities, but to the entire supply chain that supports Iran's nuclear program, from uranium mills that provide the raw materials to the centrifuge production and storage facilities that support the program. If Iran cheats, the world will know it. If we see something suspicious, we will inspect it. Iran's past efforts to weaponize its program will be addressed. Obama emphasizes that while there will be relief from some sanctions, there are some American sanctions that will stay in place until there are more political changes in Iran. In return for Iran's actions, the international community has agreed to provide Iran with relief from certain sanctions. Our own sanctions and international sanctions imposed by the United Nations Security Council. This relief will be phased as Iran takes steps to adhere to the deal. If Iran violates the deal, sanctions can be snapped back into place. Meanwhile, other American sanctions on Iran for its support of terrorism, its human rights abuses, its ballistic missile program, will continue to be fully enforced. The president then turns to arguing why pursuing an agreed international deal is clearly the best option. For the fact is, we only have three options for addressing Iran's nuclear program. First, we can reach a robust and verifiable deal and peacefully prevent Iran from obtaining a nuclear weapon. The second option is we can bomb Iran's nuclear facilities, thereby starting another war in the Middle East and setting back Iran's program by a few years. In other words, setting it back by a fraction of the time that this deal will set it back. Meanwhile, we'd ensure that Iran would race ahead to try and build a bomb. Third, we could pull out of negotiations, try to get other countries to go along and continue sanctions that are currently in place or add additional ones and hope for the best. Knowing that every time we have done so, Iran has not capitulated, but instead has advanced its program. And that in very short order, the breakout timeline would be eliminated. And a nuclear arms race in the region could be triggered because of that uncertainty. In other words, the third option leads us very quickly back to a decision about whether or not to take military action. Because we'd have no idea what was going on inside of Iran. Iran is not going to simply dismantle its program because we demand it to do so. Obama made it clear that he disdains the arguments of the Israeli or Republican Party critics. So when you hear the inevitable critics of the deal sound off, ask them a simple question. Do you really think that this verifiable deal, if fully implemented, backed by the world's major powers, is a worse option than the risk of another war in the Middle East? Is it worse than doing what we've done for almost two decades with Iran moving forward with its nuclear program and without robust inspections? I think the answer will be clear. Remember, I have always 
insisted that I will do what is necessary to prevent Iran from acquiring a nuclear weapon, and I will. But I also know that a diplomatic solution is the best way to get this done and offers a more comprehensive and lasting solution. It is our best option by far. And while it is always a possibility that Iran may try to cheat on the deal in the future, this framework of inspections and transparency makes it far more likely that we'll know about it if they try to cheat. And I or future presidents will have preserved all of the options that are currently available to deal with it. Obama ended his April 2nd speech on a powerful note as he invoked memories of Presidents John F. Kennedy, Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan in support of the cause with Iran on which he is embarked. If Congress kills this deal not based on expert analysis and without offering any reasonable alternative, then it's the United States that will be blamed for the failure of diplomacy. International unity will collapse and the path to conflict will widen. The American people understand this, which is why solid majorities support a diplomatic resolution to the Iranian nuclear issue. They understand instinctively the words of President Kennedy, who faced down the far greater threat of communism and said, let us never negotiate out of fear, but let us never fear to negotiate. The American people remember that at the height of the Cold War, presidents like Nixon and Reagan struck historic arms control agreements with the Soviet Union, a far more dangerous adversary, despite the fact that that adversary not only threatened to destroy our country and our way of life, but had the means to do so. Those agreements were not perfect. They did not end all threats but they made our world safer. A good deal with Iran will do the same. So will a good deal emerge in Vienna by next Tuesday in time for just 30 days of congressional oversight? Will the seemingly ambiguous recent intervention of Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, prove to be beneficial? Or will Obama feel obliged to walk away from a deal that contains one compromise too many? Or, after their prolonged estrangement, are the United States and Iran finally on the brink of rapprochement? It's too soon to say that's why this is a cliffhanger of a crisis. Reflections from Asia with Harvey Stockwin. The program is produced by Phil Whelan. You wouldn't throw banana peels, candy wrappers or cans all over your house, right? Of course not. Hong Kong is our home. We should keep it clean. Please don't litter. Also, pick up the litter you see. Just a little more effort and you will make Hong Kong a cleaner and better place. Make our home a better place. Keep Hong Kong clean.
now, Tobias Menzies continues to read from Laurie Lee's much-loved travel classic As I Walked Out One Midsummer Morning. Today, Spain comes into sight. But what awaits? It was early and still almost dark when our ship reached the harbour, and I was woken and hooked to the coast of Spain by the rattling anchor going over the side. I packed and went up onto the shining deck, and the Spanish sun rose too, and for the first time in my life I saw, looped around the bay, the shape of a foreign